morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Thus says the Word of God. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, that thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angels say unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and, be, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David." And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, peed unto, unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. This far the reading of God's infallible word. From Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, the announcement of Jesus' birth. But before we begin, let's come before the Lord again and ask for his blessing. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we contemplate, Lord, thy word the promises of thy word. We are overwhelmed, Lord, that not a single one of thy promises fail, Lord, but all of them are fulfilled, and especially fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, O oh Lord, as we profess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, just as we sang this morning, Lord, from Psalm 2. O Lord, let us be aware that there is only one King and Lord who is able to save, only one refuge, and that is in Thee and Thee alone, Lord, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that is in His name that we pray. Amen. In an orchestra, you have a group of musicians who are playing so many different instruments, brass, string, percussion, and this orchestrated combination of instruments produces one single harmonical music. All of them, though they're playing different pieces, different instruments, they come together to produce a single harmonical music. And the only way such a variety of roles can come together to produce a unified performance is because there is a conductor. There is someone who's conducting everything and who puts all these different roles together to produce a unified and coherent music. He is the one who ensures that the music is one unified melody, perfectly in tune, that will sing, that it will fill the hearts of those who hear. Not just a mix of noises, but a unified and perfect melody 
well, in the same vein, God orchestrated the events leading to the incarnation of Christ. And today we'll see how God set all the pieces in the perfect and right place to produce this perfect melody, this perfect and wonderful orchestra of redemption. All the promises that are involved in this cosmic event that was the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll look of the, into the promise of Christmas from different perspectives. First, a humble promise, verses 26 to 30. Second, a royal promise, verses 31 to 33. And third, a supernatural promise, verses 34 to 38. In God's symphony, each part was perfectly placed to accomplish the Word of God, to accomplish something in the work of redemption. Each individual part had an important role in the work of redemption to accomplish His divine plan. Each promise carefully leads the way and prepares for the day, for the glorious day that the Word was made flesh. Although the birth of Christ was a glorious occasion, that the Old Testament looked forward to that day, God began orchestrating the coming of Jesus with a humble promise. That's our first point. A calm and serene melody prepare the way for Christmas. A humble promise. The great story of Christmas begins with a humble, has a humble beginning. Verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. All the stories sat in a city called Nazareth. A small town estimated to have around four to 500 uh, inhabitants, a city that is mostly unknown, a city that is nowhere quoted in the Old Testament, a city that was probably unknown even to the readers of Luke's gospel. It's so unknown that Luke has even to specify was where this city was. The city was in Galilee. That way, at least the readers would know where this city was. Certainly, this place also didn't have a good reputation to the point of Nathaniel asking, Can there any good come out of Nazareth? In John 1, 46. Well, Philip's answer to Nathaniel is exactly what we are called to do today. Come and see. Let's come and see if any good can come out of Nazareth. Oh, but not only does the announcement come to an unknown place, but also to an unknown young woman called Mary, verse 27, who we know not much about up to this point, except that she was Betrothed, she was in, engaged to a man named Joseph. The announcement of Jesus' birth was very private, to a small group at first, in a known place, to an unknown woman. And likewise, Joseph is not a known figure. He was not a, an important figure at that time. He was not a Pharisee. He was not a Sadducee. He was not a, a religious leader of that time, but he was a carpenter. A humble man. It is quite a contrast with the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, who comes just a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 1. See, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist came in the Lord's Day, during a worship service, in the holy place to a priest. See, it seems so much more glorious than the announcement of the birth of of the King Jesus himself. The announcement of Jesus' birth came to a woman in a small town in the middle of nowhere, like a gentle and lowly melody that was starting to play. The announcement of the coming of Jesus was indeed very humble and yet majestic, simple and yet glorious, as we will see. The announcement, though humble, came through an angel. And not only any angel, but Gabriel. 
is a very important message that God uses his, one of his chief angels, his chief heavenly messenger to bring this message. This angel came from the throne room of God to bring this announcement, this proclamation into that small town, the insignificant town of Nazareth. God chooses ordinary and small things to do mighty and extraordinary things. As 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So God was using humble and small things, unforeseeable, things that would not call our attention to humble the mighty things of this world. The great gift of salvation sent by God comes in adorned in humility, showing that God doesn't need help or anything else. No power from this world. Our salvation is not from this world. The coming, of, the coming of Jesus will shine light in a world that was in darkness. Will bring light to those who were dead. It will impact the very fabric of the universe as the almighty God now comes and dwells with us. As the one who is eternal now enters time. Now enters into time. And yet, such a glorious occasion, such a glorious moment comes with a simple and serene announcement into a humble place to a humble people. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Behold Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death Upon them hath the line shined. The gift of salvation is wrapped in humility. The great gifts of salvation, all the power and glory of God is sent into this world, wrapped in humility, in a humble and calm form. Mary was not only an unknown woman, she was also a regular human being like you and me, a sinner who needed the grace of God just like we do. And yet God chose her to give birth to Jesus Christ. You see, we should not make Mary an idol like the Catholic Church does, who defends that she was free from original sin and that she became also an intercessor. But we should recognize her special place in the redemptive history. Although Mary was humble, a humble young woman, she was a recipient of God's grace. She was a believer who the Lord used to accomplish his purpose. Mary is called highly favored and blessed, verse 28. She is the recipient of God's grace, not the one giving God's grace. She was blessed by God. She has received favor by God. Not the one giving it. But nonetheless, she was favored and blessed. J.C. Ryle commented, No woman was ever so highly honored as the mother of our Lord. It is evident that one woman, only out of the countless millions of the human race, could, by the means of whereby God could be manifest in the flesh, and the Virgin Mary had the mighty privilege of being that one. By the childbearing of one woman, life and immortality were brought to light when Christ was born. No wonder that this one woman was called highly favored and blessed. It's true that she was blessed, such a privilege to bring forth the birth of Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And as this promise comes to Mary, verse 29 says that she was troubled, which expresses her great concern. She was shocked with that news. She was greatly perplexed with that news, with that announcement that came to her. Even more than Zechariah was 
when he received the news of the birth of John the Baptist in chapter 1, verse 12. That's the natural response in faith, face of such an extraordinary work of the Lord. Her response displays even more her humility before God. She was shocked. How could it be, Lord, that how would use a humble servant like myself? Then just like the angel told Zechariah a few verses earlier, the angel now tells Mary to fear not. Verse 30. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Found favor. She, is the, she received grace. God chose her, not by any merit that she had, not by anything special that she had, but by the, His extraordinary grace, by His grace and His grace alone. To be favored by God and to be famous are two very different things. You see, God was choosing a humble, lowly thing to give such a, a great gift, to bring grace and to bring blessing. Mary was unknown, and yet she found favor with God. God doesn't need much to make the impossible happen. He takes the ordinary and turns it into extraordinary. He doesn't need any help. He certainly doesn't need anything famous to accomplish his divine plan. So the saying is that one plus, God plus one makes majority. Oh, well, in reality, God plus zero is already majority because he can accomplish anything simply by his word, and he needs no help whatsoever. But yet, it pleased him to use sinners like you and me that in the fabric of redemption accomplish his divine plan. He didn't need to. He could have used the angels, but he pleased him to use finite creatures, sinful creatures, to accomplish his divine plan. Trust in God's wisdom and plan for your life. God's plan may differ from your own, but they lead to great purposes. Learn to see God's hand even in the unexpected events, even sorrowful times. Everything, it's all orchestrated by Him. All that happens, the high and the low notes in our lives, it's all orchestrated by Him to accomplish His divine and most perfect plan. God's temple is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Mary's conception occurred at the appointed time in God's redemptive plan. The speed and time that, God provident, that God's providence happened is never late or early, but always according to His sovereign design. Everything happens in the right moment, in the right time and place, according to His perfect plan. After, after giving this humble panorama, this humble context in which the promised Messiah would be born, now the angel tells us of his sovereignty and majesty, a royal promise. First, we have the announcement of the one who comes to save the world. How special Jesus' birth was. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The birth of Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves, would happen by a miracle of God. Miriam was a virgin, which is the fulfillment of the promise of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give to you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall his name call, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So it's to fulfill God's promise that Mary, yet a virgin, would conceive and give birth to the Messiah. The God who created the universe by the word of his power doesn't need help. 
And he's able to create life and bring life even in the womb of a virgin. God didn't need to use human means to accomplish his divine plan. He's the God Almighty, creator of all things. He's Yahweh, the God creator of the universe. And the coming of Yahweh saves, the God who saves unto this world, was first of all an act of God's grace. And the second characteristic is who this baby would be. The very character of the Savior who was coming. Jesus Christ, verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall be called the Son of the Most High God, of the Highest God. Heavenly Father and an earthly mother. He will be God and man, the God-man who comes to dwell in our midst. Very God, fully God and fully man. Divine and yet human. The only, the only one who can be called God-man. He shall bridge Bridge the gap between humanity, sinful humanity, and the most holy God. He is the perfect to bridge this gap, who brings us back into communion with God. He stands in intimate relationship with the Father because He's one with the Father, and now in an intimate relationship with us, His people, because He was made human like us. He is the Son of the Most High God. Moreover, the text says that the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Jesus is the promised Davidic king. The angel tells Mary that this child that was going to be born would fulfill the Davidic promise. This child would sit upon the throne and never depart. Jesus Christ was born to sit upon the throne. He was born to rule. He was born to be the king, the promised king, for so long expected. And notice that this is not a democracy. Mankind doesn't get a vote to decide. Jesus is born to rule, to be the king, to sit upon the throne. And as the king, he has the power and authority to save and condemn whom he wills, because he is the king of kings. John the Baptist was called great before the Lord, but Jesus is simply called great. He is great. He has power in himself by whom he is. He is very God of very God. He is divine. John the Baptist was the last prophet, but Jesus is divine himself. Although John was great, Jesus is greater. It's not even a comparison. John came to prepare the way, to lead the way for the coming, for the great day of the coming of Christ. And as a king, Jesus will rule forever. Verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Not only does he reign, but his his rule is everlasting. He will rule forever and ever. King over the universe. Here's the promise that nothing will put an end to his reign. Not even being rejected by men. Not even being rejected by those whom he came to save. Not even being mocked and even being crucified. Not even death. And not even ascension. We often think of ascension as a kind of separation. He was here with us on earth, but now he went back to heaven, and now he is away from us. That's not the case. He's sitting on the throne in heaven, and not even that put an end to his reign. On the contrary, he went to heaven to sit on the throne and reign forevermore. The king will finally come to the throne. When we read through the book of Kings, we read all these, these types, all these figures, all these kings who pointed forward 
to the day that the final king would come. And king after king, they failed to fulfill that promise. When David came, he died. He sinned, so he wasn't David. And then came Solomon. But likewise, he was a finite man, and so he wasn't Solomon. And then king after king after king, one after the other, it's not this one and not this one and not this one, until finally the day comes that Jesus is born. And the Lord says, here, here it is, the promised Davidic king who would sit upon the throne and never depart. Never again you will have to look for another king. Behold, the king has come and is sitting upon the throne. He is the promised king. And finally, the angel Gabriel comes and announces, It is now. Behold, Mary, all the promises of the covenant pointed to this moment. It is this, the child that will sit at the throne. The king has finally come. And his reign is unique, different than all other kings before him, because it is everlasting. But wait wait a minute, Mary could ask, or Mary could think in her mind. It has been around 600 years without a king from the line of David. See, time has passed from all those kings. Over 600 years since a king from the line of David sat upon the throne. So Israel was under Babylon, and then under Persia, and then under Syria, and now under Rome. So a long time without a king from the line of David. So how could it be? How is it possible that a king from the line of David will come now? It almost appears like the promise of God was lost. Throughout all those years, is the promise of God lost? Has he forgotten his promise of a king from the line of David? So long and nothing but the promises of God never expire. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. He didn't lose track of the line of David. He didn't forget his promise, but in the perfect time, he appointed for the coming of the king. It's now, Mary, all that the Old Testament pointed forward, 2 Samuel 7, Daniel 7, Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Genesis 3.15. It is now. It's all being fulfilled now. The king, the head crusher, the one who will crush the head of the serpent. It's now. This is the day. All the promises that were pointed forward to this day, to the coming of the promised Messiah, to the anointed one by God. The king is coming now. And here we need, it. we need to notice something very important. Jesus didn't come into this world to be simply a good moral example. He didn't come to this world to be simply a religious guru or a good teacher. He came as a king. He came to rule, to establish his kingdom. He came to conquer as the king of kings. He's not a good moral teacher, simply. He is king. He sits on his throne to rule. Jesus Christ doesn't share his throne with anyone. To say that Mary is any type of queen of the universe is an abomination. Because Jesus doesn't share his glory with anyone. He and him alone is the one who sits on the throne to rule. All the glory is given to him. All scripture pointed to this moment. Because all the glory is his. The king, the kingdom is his kingdom. The crown is his crown and the glory is his glory. Roman Catholics defend the coronation of Mary as the queen of the universe. 
Mary is referred to as the mother of the Christian church, the icon of true Christianity, and a mediator between, between the church and God. See, all that belongs to Christ and Christ alone. It's an abomination. It's a distortion of the gospel to share the glory that belongs to the king alone with anyone else. Christmas is not about Mary. Notice how the focus of the promise is not her. She's simply the means by which the promises are accomplished, are fulfilled. The focus of Christmas is not on us either. It's not about us either. It's about the coming of the King. It's about Him. The center of Christmas is Christ and bringing glory to Him. You have to make a cute picture of Christmas. It's all about a cute baby on a manger. And we forget that that baby came to rule. And he came to rule with a rod of iron. Just as we sang from Psalm 2, verses 10 to 12. This is the call that the king brings to the world. Be wise now, therefore, O we kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. And he perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they who put their trust in him. Christmas is a reminder that the king came to rule. He will crush the enemies. He will conquer all those who oppose you. His kingdom. He came with power and glory. Yes, veiled in humility. But glorious. Bringing, bringing a one, one time call to the nations. Repent. Kiss the son. Lest he be angry. And he perish from the way. What a call. That this gentle and lowly baby. Was the king of the universe. And no one. Shall we stand against him. Let this Christmas season be a reminder that there is only one king born to rule the universe whose kingship has no end. The coming of, king, of the king into the world was not only majestic, but it was also mysterious and supernatural. That's our third, third point, a supernatural promise. Mary immediately understood that this promise that the angel was giving to her was about to happen now, right now. Not years ahead, as so many promises before were given, but this was about to happen right now. So she's puzzled, verse, verse 34. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She was not married yet. So how could this conception happen? The angel does answer her, but at the same time, not quite. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Gabriel thus tell her, that it will be a work of the Holy Spirit, and the Son of God shall be born of her. But no details, and very mysterious. Yes, he's answering her, but at the same time, not quite. He's giving her what will happen, but not exactly how it will happen. He's telling her to inform her, but not to feed her curiosity. The reality of that is that it, this would be the first of so many mysteries surrounding the work of Christ, surrounding the works of the Son of God, the mystery of the Incarnation. How can God be made man 
the mystery of the kingdom that he is bringing. He is inaugurating a kingdom that is already here, but we cannot see fully yet. The mystery of suffering, but receiving glory. So contradictory. The mystery of the twofold imputation. That God crosses his hands and his righteousness becomes ours and our sins falls upon him on that cross. The mystery of losing the world but receiving eternal life. So many mysteries are inaugurated by at this point in time. Yes, he's inaugurating a glorious and majestic kingdom. But at the same time, it's veiled. We can fully see it yet. It's not according to man's logic, but it's according to God's sovereign will. Christ was not coming to inaugurate a kingdom that would please men. And his concern was not to reason us into believing, was not to convince us by reason to believe. But he was showing that the gateway to the kingdom was faith. Faith would become the norm, the rule to enter into this kingdom, to be partakers of this kingdom by faith and faith alone. The information that the Bible gives us is not to appease our curiosity, but to bring us to worship. What the angel told Mary was not for her to make sense of all that would happen. Oh, yes, Lord, now I understand all that is going to happen. No, but to bring her to worship. Lord, I don't know how, but I know that it will happen and how wonderful it is. That's the very paradigm of the Christian faith, of the Christian life. We not always understand fully how things will play out. But we know that they will happen according to God's purposes. And how wonderful they are. It's to bring us to worship. All these mysteries ought to bring us to worship Him even more. Verse 35, the angel says that the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. In the Old Testament... God's overshadowing refers either to the cloud that rested on the tabernacle, Exodus 40, Numbers 9, or to God's presence in protecting His people, Psalm 94, 91, 140. In Luke chapter 9, saying gospel, verse 34, the term is used for the cloud of the transfiguration overshadowing the disciples. The point is that God's overshadowing represents His glorious presence before His people. He's there. He's right there overshadowing His people. He's with them in His presence. And as a result of this overshadowing, verse 35, Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Two things are being said of Christ here. He's both holy and He's the Son of God. The virgin birth is a miracle. Like in the Genesis account, life is created by extraordinary power. Born supernaturally of a virgin. It's by His power that things come to be. As a way of assuring Mary of what was going to happen, the angel tells her of a sign. Verse 36, the Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. Even though she was barren, but here she will also give birth to a son. See, God gives the promises and he gives also the signs to assure us that his, his word will be fulfilled. This is an echo of a very famous story in the Old Testament. Elizabeth's story is very similar to another story in the Old Testament. Do you remember, kids, 
who else in the, in the Bible was already a very old woman and could not have children. Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Sarah, Sarah also had a miraculous son, Isaac. Isaac was also born by a miracle of God opening the womb, womb of Sarah. Gabriel was remembering Mary that this would not be the first unusual birth that God had performed. He has done this in the past and he can do it again. It's the same God. The Old Testament and New Testament, the same mighty God. Verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. This is a reference to what God told Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 14. There is no impossible with God. The laws of the universe are no obstacle to Him, for the Creator of the universe. Westminster Confession of Faith says, God, in His ordinary providence, make uses of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at His pleasure. The creator of the universe can use the means, can, use, can go above the means and even against the means at his pleasure. At his pleasure, because he is the creator, the ruler of the universe. The promise to Mary was greater than the miracle of overcoming uh, barrenness, barrenness, as it was with Elizabeth and as it was with Sarah. It was the first and only time that a virgin would conceive. God will do this miracle for the first and only time in history. God made this promise, and God now would fulfill this promise. God doesn't need help, the help of Joseph or anyone else to make this possible. God's promises are always fulfilled regardless of the circumstances. He can use the circumstances... He, go, he can go above or against the circumstances, but they are always fulfilled. And Mary understood the angel's answer right away. So she gives a faithful response before that supernatural event. Mary gives an impressive and faithful response. She didn't ask questions. She simply showed worshipful submission Worshipful submission to God. At the time, this type of engagement that Mary was in with Joseph was as binding as marriage. To break an engagement as Mary was would be just like as breaking the marriage vows. And she would be considered adultery. And by being pregnant before marriage... It would imply that she had committed adultery. So she was putting her relationship with Joseph, her reputation, and, and, and even her life at stake here. And yet, this is her response, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid, literally the slave, the slave of the Lord, be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary heard the message, the announcement of the Lord. Mary heard what, would have, what was about to happen, and she submitted to his word. Even knowing all that was at stake here, all the risks, she was willing to humbly submit to his word. Here is your servant, Lord. Let it happen according to thy word. Let it be, Lord, according to thy will. Mary heard the message from the Lord, and she submitted to it. The 17th century Scottish minister Thomas Hogg said, Submission is preferable to consolation, for consolation pleases us. But submission pleases God. That's the answer that the Lord wants from us. To submit to Him. 
to trust in Him, regardless of the circumstances, and even against the circumstances, to trust in Him and submit to Him. Mary provides an answer of humble submission. Indeed, she was highly favored and blessed among women. Mary displays the attitude expected from every believer to believe in the Lord, to know that His promises will be fulfilled, and to believe that He can use anything to accomplish His will. The purpose of the text is to bring all of us to the same response as Mary. Yes, Lord, I am your servant. Use me, Lord, to accomplish Thy purposes to accomplish thy perfect will, thy perfect plan of redemption, to be part of the fabric of redemption, Lord. Oh, Lord, here am I, thy servant. I submit to thee. This would be the test of her faith, the test of our faith. If she was found guilty in the eyes of the world... Even if she was not adulterous, if if they thought she was, she would be stoned to death. But she was willing to face whatever it cost, whatever consequence, and whatever risk was involved. I am your servant, Lord. Let it be done according to thy will. Mary faced uncertainty, but trusted God's guidance. And we are called to practice the same faith and trust in Him. The same submission, trusting in His providence. Mary understood that that baby would be born was not our servant, but we are His servant. That baby that was born was born to rule, and we are His servant. Do we submit to the King in the same way? Do we submit to King Jesus and His rule in the same way? Willing to pay the price, whatever cost it might be, to submit to Him. The announcement of the birth of the Savior comes with a call. A call to surrender your life to Him. To submit to Him as His servant. The redemption history was perfectly orchestrated by God. God is the divine conductor who puts together all the individual melodies of our lives to bring glory to His name through the fulfillment of God's promises to deliver His people. Jesus came down to earth so that we could go up to heaven The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men could be made sons of God. That's the glorious plan of redemption that we are part of. This is His glorious and most perfect plan. Just as He perfectly used unexpected means for the birth of Christ, He will bring His people to glorification in the end through unexpected and extraordinary means. We don't know how or when the promises of God will be fulfilled, but we know for sure that they will. Every single one of His promises will be fulfilled. Not a single one of His promises will fail. All of them, all of them will be fulfilled. Our call is simply to stand in humble servanthood and tell him, Lord, here I am, thy servant. Use me, Lord, according to thy will, for I submit to thee. During this Christmas season, remember that his plan cannot be frustrated and that through a variety of people, he orchestrated the greatest the greatest history of redemption, the greatest orchestra of the world, of the universe, the plan of redemption. 
Let Jesus Christ be our greatest joy and comfort. Not only during this Christmas season, but forever and ever. For He will rule forevermore. And all those who come to Him will be at His presence, worshiping Him and crowning Him with many crowns, singing praises to Him before His throne forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, our most holy and glorious Lord, O Lord, we are so impressed, Lord. It's mind-boggling, Lord, how all of thy promises are fulfilled, Lord. Every single one of them, Lord, the big and the small, through ordinary means and through extraordinary means, Lord, all thy promises are fulfilled, Lord. And oh, Lord, we give thanks to thee that the greatest promise of all, the coming of the King, has been fulfilled. We can come into thy house today and say, yes, it is true. The promised King has come. And he has ascended into heaven and he's sitting upon the throne. Yes, it is true. The head crusher who would crush the head of the serpent has come and has conquered death. He has inaugurated his kingdom, Lord, and now we are welcomed unto thy presence, Lord. How wonderful, how majestic, how glorious, Lord. And how mysterious that thou uses finite men like us to accomplish thy purpose. So, O Lord, we come in humble submission to King Jesus before thee today. We bend the knee, Lord. We lower our heads before thee. And our desire, Lord, is that every single one of us would profess, Here is thy servant. O oh Lord, let none of us go out of this place in the same way that we came. Let none of us go out of here without submitting to the King. For there is only one way to salvation, and that is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And, O oh Lord, we praise thy name, and we make our lives an offering of praise before thee, to desire to praise thee today and forever in thy presence. And we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.